everyone, welcome to New Slang. I am Thomas Mooney, your host, and you're listening to episode 83, where I talk with songwriter Jesse Daniel. Jesse just released this new record called Rolling On. It's his second record, and it's a very falls in line with that uh, old school kind of country revival that's happening right now. Uh, it's very much like a honky tonk homage kind of album. And this is actually one of those podcasts that I had originally had slated to do in person back in the, I guess that first week of March. Jesse was going to be opening up for Culture Wall at a two night stand at the Blue Light. And we were originally going to do it back then. And of course, though, uh, all that kind of went out the window during this pandemic. And so we decided to just go ahead and do it on the phone. So Jesse's from rural California, and you really tell that influence is all over his songwriting and his storytelling style. You hear that Bakersfield sound. It's super apparent that Jesse is well-versed in the likes of Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and Dwight Yoakam types. And it's also like in his songwriting, his storytelling arcs. Uh, there's a lot of songs that have a very John Steinbeckian kind of plight. One of the things I like about Jesse's Rolling On is that he gives space and he allows the space for uh, sharp and warm pedal steel to be the focal point of the song. He, he allows that to not just be like a, a background instrument or like a auxiliary kind of piece. It's, um, it can very much be the sonic focal point. The title track, Rolling On, there's this really California country thing happening on it. You feel like the sharp guitars are just like straight out of the Dwight Yoakam or uh, the Blasters playbook. You know, there's they're really rocking despite being like a country song. Um, they're, the, the guitars are hot. It's guitar music even though it's country music at the same time. One thing that I dig about Jesse's sound and songs is that while yes, he is giving us these old school country numbers, they occupy like a very specific feeling, in my opinion. They're highway tunes. They capture that feeling of the fast cars and the open highway, uh, and kind of like that romanticized era of, of open highway. The songs like Rolling On, like I just mentioned, and Tar Snakes and Mayo and the Mustard, there's this highway feel, this open roadness to it. Just look at the album art. He's standing there on this open highway near a fence line, and there's these giant mountains in the background, and it's probably on a road that only the locals know. That isn't the only thing, though. It's not just about the, the stylized version of country music. Jesse's a really great storyteller, too. I mentioned like there's that uh, the Steinbeckian kind of aspects to some of his character arcs. It's these guys who just like have lived in small-town California, and that they're like there's this very much a blue collar ethic to them. If you listen to like the song Champion, there's this very Marty Robbins, Merle Haggard kind of feel to it. And of course, like the, the closing number, Son of the San Lorenzo, I, I really like the entire premise of that kind of song. It's very much like a self-mythologizing type of song. It's Jesse's song. Charlie Crockett did something similar with The Valley. I, I just love like that idea of kind of doing it where you know, all of these songs, in some shape or form, there's a part of me in it. But this one specifically is my song. Uh, I, I don't know, I feel like there's just something really cool about that. Before we get started, I want to remind you all about Monday Night Lights. 
It's a 50-song compilation of Blue Light Songwriters that comes out Friday, May 1st. It's 50 songs by 50 songwriters for $50. All proceeds of Monday Night Lights will be going to the bar staff of Blue Light here in Lubbock. As you know, musicians and bands have had to stomp the brakes on touring and shows in the live setting. Venues have had to temporarily shut down. Bars have had to do the same. And that just means that bar staff and venue staff have had to stop working as well, at least in that capacity. So Charlie Stout called me the other day to see if I'd help him with this project where we could raise some money to help out our friends who worked at Blue Light, the unsung heroes, if you will. So Monday Night Lights is essentially a name for Songwriter Night at the Blue Light. It's the testing ground of so many songs and really the early stages of so many songwriters who come out of Lubbock. So it felt fitting that me and Charlie called up 50 songwriters who either started out on that Monday night stage, who won the songwriter competition, and had just those really deep blue light ties. They know how important and essential bar staff is, and uh, I hope you do as well. We did just share the track list. It's a blend of these old school kind of like classic, iconic blue light Lubbock numbers of this era. And then also just like a mix of new songs that haven't seen the light of day yet. I'm really excited for y'all to hear. Everything officially goes live Friday, May 1st on Bandcamp. It's a Bandcamp exclusive, and I'll tell you why. Uh, For starters, on Friday, May 1st, Bandcamp is waiving their cut on all sales. So anything you buy on Bandcamp on May 1st, it goes directly to the artist. And that means in our situation, every dollar spent will just go directly to Blue Light staff. We get a bigger cut for it. And another really cool feature on Bandcamp is, let's say you wanted to spend more money than the $50. Let's say you wanted to give $100 or $75 or whatever the case is, $51. You can on, on Bandcamp. You can pay what you want. Monday Night Lights is not ever going to be going on Spotify or Apple Music or anything like that. So the only way you're going to be able to get it is via Bandcamp. If you go to mondaynightlights.com, everything will be there on Friday. That's where you'll be able to get it, buy it, share it, all that kind of stuff. As always, I will throw a link into the show notes for easy access. And then, of course, as always, go ahead and subscribe to New Slank. Rate us, give us a five star on iTunes, share it with all your friends and family. Go like New Slang on Facebook. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at underscore new slang. Okay, so that's about it here. Here is Jesse Day. Um, yeah, so um, <laughs> it's I guess it's one of those things where I had been trying to get a, uh, a podcast with you before all of this started and you were going to be opening up this sh- uh, a couple of shows with Coulter here at the blue light here in Lubbock. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything starts getting canceled and getting pushed back and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I know. It's finally, crazy. finally get a talk here. Um, yeah. So I guess like, what has it been like on your end as far as, you know, releasing this record right before, um, quote unquote quarantine 2020. And then you know, yeah. having all these dates and then essentially having to cancel or push back or, uh, just have them in limbo for a long time. What's that been like for you as an artist? You know, man, um, 
yeah first off i'm glad to, to be able to finally do this that's one i guess to start off that's one of the only uh real benefits that I could think of to, to being quarantined and to being healthy, obviously, and able to do, to do stuff like this, but it's kind of, uh, allowed me some more time to, yeah, you know, be able to catch up on stuff like this, to do talks and interviews and stuff like that with people. And, um, it's definitely been a crazy time to release a record, uh, for sure. It's been, you know, we had months of touring. We had basically half of, we we're out on the road with Jason Bolin and the Stragglers. Mm-hmm. And we were in Rifle, Colorado, uh, about to play this cool theater called the Theater in Rifle. And uh, we showed up to the venue, got all set up. And then I guess they had called it right then. They said the rest of the, the, rest of the dates are canceled and um, tonight's canceled as well. So uh, we packed it up and um kind of headed back and we were wondering what was going to happen and basically everything followed suit after that all the other artists and um essentially i think had about three months worth of dates now if we're including all the potential stuff in uh in may and who knows how long so it's been a lot of uh you know lost income for myself and a lot of other artists um, but I think having a record to promote at this time has been kind of our only saving grace, mm-hmm. uh, just to be able to, to kind of, you know, have that to put out there. And I think from a lot of the feedback we've got from people, it seemed to have been kind of a, a light for them, you know, in this kind of uncertain time. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's been good. That's been kind of definitely keeping the spirits up is making people happy and, um, being able to keep ourselves afloat and moving on through this yeah that's such a uh something i guess i i didn't really even think about is the you know things getting canceled while you're not even at home because you know obviously with whenever things started getting canceled i was here at the house you know and i think like you know so much of the population was uh close to home when all this started happening you know i don't even you guys were you know, in another state, uh, far away, no like real actual plans of being back home at that time. That must've just been, you know, just feeling like you're just, uh, kind of caught up, like just lost in the wind or something out in the woods, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, man. It was kind of, it was a little bit devastating, you know, at that, at that moment with, excuse me, all of the, uh, all the dates that we had, this is definitely the the busiest year. Um, since the beginning of the year, you know, basically we started out the year, uh, with Coulter and, um, Mike and the moon pies over at Kane's ballroom. Mm-hmm. And we had high hopes, you know, we were that the, the rest of the year was pretty booked solid. And, um, so yeah, we were definitely pretty upset when, you know, going home and everything, but, uh, yeah, just with how serious everything got so fast, I mean, it's kind of been um, the best we can do. Yeah, is just to stay home and just kind of uh, not contribute to the, the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, um, yeah, it's weird because yeah, I remember uh, seeing that show that you guys were booked on for that New Year's show, and right. you know, at, at New Year's, I guess it's one of those things you see on social media, and it's it's been around for. for ever it's like you know the new year new me 
and you know, yeah. like 2020 is going to be my year. And then like every year, you know, it ends up being like where there's something bad and people complain about what's been happening through the year. But this is like just another level of, <laughs> of just yeah. devastation. Yeah. Every, I remember like, uh, I remember the year Merle Haggard died. Everybody was like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 2000, shoot, I want to say it was 16. Yeah, I believe so. Um, Sixteen, I think. Yeah. yeah, you know, are you serious? Two thousand sixteen, and then it was something bad happened in seventeen. You know, it's yeah, exactly. It's like uh, another one of those, except on a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is that yeah, we never, um, nobody's in our. I mean, there's been people that are alive now that have been through some crazy stuff, but um, I think it's safe to say for the most part, nobody's really lived through anything like this. Hmm. Yeah, it it does feel there is this uh this element of it feeling like we're in a big giant social experiment in a way, you know. Uh yeah. I was talking to a buddy about, you know, like this is the part in the movie when you know, the UFO show up to save the day and like it just doesn't feel like <laughs> yeah. none of that's going to happen, you know. <laughs> right. Um yeah. wouldn't be surprised, man. Uh well, so obviously, you know, you released this record rolling on and you know, you, you said like that's a, a part of a, a part of you thinks, you know, like, yeah, I'm glad we have this record out, something we've been working on. Um, and it, it's it's something that at least we're able to push and promote and uh, during this time. But is there like a part of you that kind of wishes like you would have uh, set back a little bit or um, been able to push the release date later or, or, or anything like that? You know, uh, right after it happened, <clears throat> right after we basically had headed home, we were, um, set to release the record in a, you know, a couple weeks, few weeks after. And so we were kind of, there was a couple of days I was going back and forth and Jody and I were talking about like with our team, what the best plan would be. And, uh, we ended up, you know, deciding to keep the date and I'm glad we did. Um, and I'm pretty, I think I stand, stand by that just because it's, I've seen a lot of people who have been, you know, pushing dates back and whatnot. And I think that's definitely smart for, for some people, but for us, um, the, the biggest setback was not being able to tour it. But I think that, um, people being home and, you know, really kind of, uh, looking for something, you know, something to kind of listen to something to grab onto right now has kind of worked to the benefit of, um, people releasing music during this time. I don't think obviously it's as good as if we could have been out there hitting the road hard right now, but I think, uh, I think we, we, and our team did like the the right thing Mm -hmm. with that went better than I, I could have hoped for. I was pretty, um, skeptical you know with releasing a record in the middle of a pandemic but yeah uh have you i guess like have you have you done plenty of the 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 instagram facebook kind of live live things to at least uh you know continue playing somewhat somewhat regularly you know i'm sure you always kind of have a guitar at hand anyways but do you does that kind of give it a little bit of normalcy in a way to at least be able to play these songs live and in in, quote unquote in front of people. Yeah, definitely. That's been another big one to, to get used to. Um, 
the first couple times we've done some live streams uh, just on my own account. And then we've been a lot of companies and uh, publications have been like asking artists to come and do like page takeover, <clears throat> page takeover style uh, live streams. And like we did one with the boot and we're doing one with boot barn tonight actually. And uh, they've been cool, man. They're, it's definitely different. It's weird seeing, a, you know, a bunch of comments on a stream or on, on the screen, you know, and you're just streaming it to these people as opposed to being right there in front of them. So that took some getting used to, but I think that's been um, something that's also really cool, you know, about like the day and age that we live in is we're able to connect uh, just like you and I are talking right now, you know, we're hundreds of miles away, but we're able to, to connect, you know, in a way, even in spite of a, you know, virus that's taking hold of the planet. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's kind of funny is, you know, the, um, in a live show setting, it's like most of the time you want the, the audience to not just be screaming and blurting out stuff. And, you know, it's probably like the right. exact opposite during, during this, because you're like, at least say something on Instagram. Like if this is just, you're like, uh, man, I missed the heckler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, it, absolutely. It feels kind of, um, the first, the first two times that I, I did a live stream, it felt very, when you hit the little last tag of the song, you expect the, the clapping or people to do something, you know, it's just silent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a little bit of a weird thing, but, um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty cool though. All in all, I'm glad we're able to do that. Yeah, um, obviously, we've been talking about all this, but like this is all revolving around you having the record. Um, you know, you, you I guess it was like last year you started really um, unfolding the the layout of like, hey, I'm gonna be releasing a record, yada yada, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. Like what's the what was like your your game plan going into to recording rolling on and and just getting all those songs collected and, and ready? What was kind of like that? I guess getting all your your T's crossed and I's dotted as far as like what you wanted as a a an idea for what this record was going to be. Right, uh, I'd say you know we had a pretty clear vision. Um, in 2018, I, I released my self-titled record, and that was, by comparison, that record was a lot more, um, those, they were songs that I'd written over a long period of time. That was kind of my first introduction to really, you know, cutting a full studio record, like, by myself and doing that. And uh, this one, as far as the songs go, it was a shorter amount of time, but I'd say probably a more inspired amount of time you know when when writing these songs like there's there's a lot of inspiration and a lot of uh kind of desire to get them out to to people and when we basically decided to go with found out about tommy dedimore who we did the record with through just listening to uh there's a jim lauderdale record this changes everything uh, i really love the production on that and uh that last Doug Som record also that Tommy worked on um, among a bunch of others. 
uh, I had this batch of songs basically. And I knew started kind of toying with the idea that I wanted to get uh, somebody to co-produce it with me. And after kind of going down the rabbit hole on Tommy, I basically just uh, shot him a cold email and, and pitched the whole thing to him and he was into it. So that kind of set everything in motion. And uh, from there, yeah, we launched that Kickstarter campaign to basically just as like a pre-order for the record. And that went really well, ended up getting the whole record funded. And uh, studio wise, it was it was pretty incredible, like just how quickly everything rolled and how the band that played on the record was really able to just capture exactly what um, I had kind of envisioned for each song. So. It's definitely the most fun I've ever had making a record. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that uh, your your first self-titled record there. Um, and then I guess, you know, like the, the, that's interesting you say like the, the excitement of wanting to get these songs out. I guess like, you know, I've not really ever thought about the, um, the, the momentum aspect of, you know, having, um, I guess like the being a little unsure the first time you put a record out or are these songs, is it going to sell? Are people going to buy it? And then, you know, once, right. once you do get a little bit of some buzz, if you will, you know, you're, mm -hmm. I guess it does add to the entire excitement of getting these songs out. And if there's one thing on these songs, there's a little bit of like that, um, you know, pressing forward. I mean, like rolling on, for example, is just like that, that right um, example of, of just moving forward, you know, and moving up and right. uh, a little bit more of a, an optimistic kind of a sound and everything even. Yeah, definitely, man. This, this record had a lot of, uh, a lot of that uh, forward momentum and kind of, you know, a little bit more of a positive message and spin. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at, or at least that's where, where i'm at and especially where i was you know at the time uh with writing those like uh, i'm glad that we were able to kind of musically capture those the band you know they ended up giving a lot of energy to the songs that's really uh, what i had in mind for them and i think that if it would have been a little bit um more stripped down it would have lost that um yeah yeah like these songs are very much you know, the, the, the big kind of fifties country, sixties kind of Bakersfield sound. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Merle a minute back, you know, like that California kind of just that golden era of country. It's very oh, much yeah. in that, in that same vein. Yeah. I love all that stuff, man. That was a huge, that was another huge influence, you know, that I told these guys, they were all kind of joking around with me when we went out to cut it with Tommy uh, that I had to come all the way to Floresville, Texas to cut a Bakersfield record. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's cool. Cause they all were, you know, they're huge fans of, you know, Buck Owens. And I feel like there is a lot of since, you know, uh, guys like Merle Haggard and Buck Owens were doing their thing back in yeah fifties and sixties. Uh, they really made such an impression that, you know, you can hear for instance, like Don Rich's, uh, all of his guitar signature guitar licks you can hear those on records from like the 70s 80s especially the 90s there's a ton of 90s country um that really kind of emulated that 
And so that made such a big kind of impact on me in the way that I play. I really wanted to represent my home state and um, that, that form of country that I love so much. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Jim Lauderdale. Um, I guess it was like, uh, probably like eight years ago. I saw this show Mm -hmm. during South by that. It was, uh, like the, like the bill, it was one of those bills where it was just completely stacked where, um, it was him and buddy Miller playing together. And Mm -hmm. I think like, if I remember the, the, the lineup, it was, I know Steve Earl played a set and, um, nice. God, I'm blanking on who Love Steve Earl. Um, but like I walked away with like Buddy Miller and J- uh, Jim Lauderdale as just kind of being like the best show I've seen like that weekend kind of thing. It was just so, uh, and I remember they they opened that show. Uh, that oh wow, and it was just like you know just the um, the chemistry between those two guys, but then also just the the sound was just so spectacular. You know. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten to see him uh, live, but just the songs that he's written and, and uh, his voice is pretty incredible. You know, you can do so much with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just the you know production on a lot of his records, I really like. Yeah, there's a lot of, and it's, it's the same thing with, with Buddy, too. There's a lot of uh, just dynamic stuff happening. You know, it's very... Um, like I hate to say it's like very meat and potatoes, but in a way, like what they do is it's there's not like all this. It's very organic, you know what I mean. There's not a whole lot of just extra right. unnecessary stuff. But what you know what what they're doing is uh, the stuff that they do have is just like right there up front and just really good, you know. It and I think like um, you know we talk about like '90s country when people talk about 90s country, you know, you think of like George Strait and Garth Brooks, but mm-hmm. like there's that underlying that I, I don't know, whatever the, the next level of, of guys is that right, right. had so much of a big impact on the sound too. Definitely, man. Yeah. I feel like if we're talking about the same thing, I feel like some of those guys like, uh, like Rodney Crowell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he to me was always kind of more of like a, like a songwriter, songwriter. And then I hadn't really been introduced to a whole lot of his like 90s stuff other than like the couldn't leave you if I tried. Like I knew that song. Yeah. Um, but you listen to the production, you know, that really was like that quintessential 90s country sound. But uh, but yeah, I feel like they were like the next level from, from you know, the Alan Jacksons or the. This episode is sponsored by Smith Iron and Design. It's owned and operated by one of my good friends, Aaron Smith, and his dad, Sonny. As the name implies, Smith Iron and Design specializes in creating custom metal and woodwork. They have a vast array of metal signs that are perfect wall decor that'll tie our room together. They design everything from welcome signs to family crests, flags, and Texas cutouts. They have a series of these metal wreaths that are perfect for your front door, and you are able to change them out depending on the season. Are you a sports fan? Well, there's nothing better than having a giant logo of your team on the wall of your den or office. When it comes to signage, the possibilities are really endless. What you should really do, though, is head over to smithironanddesign.com to get a look at their vast portfolio. That's smithironanddesign.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes as well. 
They don't just do signs either. Some of the smaller items are custom bottle openers and keychains. Then they also have bookshelves, TV stands, nightstands, and fire pits. You know, it was about a year ago, Aaron built me a custom shelf. I needed something new to store some of my vinyl and everything I had come across. Either the shelves weren't big enough for LPs, or it looked too bland or cheaply made, or to be perfectly honest, too expensive. So I wound up talking with Aaron, and about a week later, I was able to pick up this custom shelf unit that's just been amazing. It's incredibly sturdy, has a bit of a rustic feel. In my opinion, one of the best parts was just having so much control in the process. You can get them as tall as you want with the shelves at the perfect depth and length. Again, for me, this was for storing vinyl, so they had to be a certain height and depth. I've been thinking about getting a custom bookshelf companion piece soon as well. Now, for the most part, they primarily serve the Lubbock area and the South Plains, but for some of their smaller pieces, they're able to ship nationwide as well. Again, smithironanddesign.com. Now, back to the show. Um, the, that, obviously, like, uh, there's the, the aspect of the, how, like, where, where country's gone to in the last decade or so, just, like, kind of, like, just... Mm that homogenized sound of of country and pop and hip-hop and rock and roll are all like the same thing but um yeah yeah you know there is there is that revival i was wanting to ask you about you know there is guys like you and the moon pies and coulter and you know there's a lot of these guys that are coming around right now i mean like jamie wyatt like a lot of uh mm-hmm. what i guess who you would call like a revival of of an older style of country um do you think that like it, it's happening because, you know, it's just like the the ebb and flow of country music as far as like what's quote unquote popular uh, and geared towards the masses? Or do you think like there's um, I guess like what is your opinions on 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 uh, the I guess the revival of, of a quote unquote classic kind of country style? Right. I think. uh yeah, it's interesting. I think that there's definitely, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people that have, and I used to kind of think more so like this, that have this kind of, uh, like I, like a very adamant, like hate for anything that's not like classic country, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I definitely used to be a little more like stuck up and whatnot. And I've tried to really kind of open my mind to, possibilities of things kind of growing in different directions and people you know doing what they what they want to do and making what they want to make and I respect that Um, but on the other hand it makes me really you know proud and happy to be a part of the kind of like you said the kind of revival that I feel like is going on right now I think like all those artists you mentioned um, there's a cool thing happening right now and that was I remember I was talking with uh, Coulter at that this last show we did, or I did with him at um, Orpheum Theater in Flagstaff, and I was telling him that I thought, <laughs> it's funny because I was telling him, I thought that, I was like, man, I got a great feeling about 2020. <laughs> it's going to be a great year. He was like, yeah, you think so? I was like, yeah, man, I think it's going to be the best year, you know, for for this type of music for, you know, country music and just kind of authentic stuff. And, uh, we were kind of talking about that, but 
in spite of everything that's going on, I, I think that there is, like you said, kind of a cool uh, new interest in that. And I think that there's a lot of younger people who are kind of perking up to the idea of it being cool and interesting to not just follow along with like, you know, the trends and whatnot, what's on the radio, which, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, if that becomes cool, who knows, eventually maybe that'll be the mainstream, you know, you never can tell, but, um, I think it's cool that there's interest in it for sure, man. I'm glad, honored to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, it, it is one of those things where, um, you know, I, I also, I, I feel like I was, you know, real pretentious when it came to this is what country music is and this is what it's not. And what you guys are doing is right. not country, yeah, that whole kind of thing. But that kind of gets tiring. You know what I mean? Like you're like, you realize like, totally. man, like that is exhausting being that guy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I guess like one of my deals is just that, you know, it sometimes it goes too far in that direction and it, it pushes out all of the other diverse the diversity in country music because like, you know, there is a lot of other, you know, uh, I guess movements in country that sometimes gets the, those fires get stomped out. If everything's a, is just bro country or, you know what I mean? Like, and right. Uh, right. If there's anything that needs to have like a, a revival, it is like, you know, this, this kind of country. Um, absolutely, man. I agree. You know, you you mentioned just talking with Coulter. Like, how much do you do you guys? It's not necessarily even Coulter, but like, how much do you guys um, feed off one another? Is there like even, you know, a uh, an aspect of of being influenced by contemporaries? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, do you mean like me and Coulter, just kind of peers in general? In peers in general. Yeah, I'd say like definitely. Uh, like on the, for me on like the inspiration factor, you know, um, one of the guys for me that was always a big inspiration in the, in like the, the hustle area. Like I always really appreciated his hustle and his drive was Charlie Crockett. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just always, <clears throat> always out. I mean, ever since I met him, this is a few years ago now. And then we did some, he took me out on tour, opening up some runs of shows and, uh, him and his whole crew just were, uh, yeah, very driven and, um, also like pretty, pretty positive and nice and kind to people and took time to like talk to fans and stuff. And that made, you know, a big impression on me and kind of, if there is any doubt in my mind of like how to do things a certain way, like getting to see guys like that, that I looked up to doing it like that, that's, you know, I think that's just, that's such a cool thing to be able to like teach generations that way just by leading by example excuse me and uh so yeah definitely i think you know for me in that way just by kind of seeing the way people are doing things and respecting their their uh hustle you know Mm -hmm. yeah musically also you know i i love uh so much of my peers music you know that they're putting out it's cool to to listen to yeah. Um, but I think that the cool part of the cool thing is to be able to all we obviously are kind of drawing from a similar well of like love from that traditional country music. And it's interesting to see everybody's interpretation of it, you know. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Super inspiring. It's 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 also interesting because you know the you know just thinking about like of of previous generations of of country or just music in general so much of of your peers are um you know far away and there's no real way to get a hold of them unless you know you're on the road together or you know that's why like everyone kind of moved to Nashville or Austin or right. wherever but now you know like you're able to keep up and keep tabs on everyone via social media you know it's easier to right. see more of the the insight in in people's lives and like just even you know uh just messaging them or like commenting you, you there's a lot more ways to interact with with your favorite artists but you know artists uh with other artists you know like there's just so much more interaction and i think that definitely has had a an impact on you know um the the way music sounds you know what i mean it is it, it's also interesting that you're talking about the um the interpretations the the various interpretations of of everyone's favorite old music you know right um go yeah, ahead it's... oh go ahead no i was just gonna say yeah exa exactly man you hit it that's it is super cool to see what i was gonna say was like going back to the the songs of rolling on um mm -hmm. you know obviously you kind of mentioned a little bit before of like how the first record you know all those songs were from a, a for like a, a bigger piece of time um these songs like right here like what like what's what's the oldest song on here what's the, the song that is probably like the just like the oldest of this bunch i'd say the oldest of the bunch is only money honey uh that one is a duet i do with jody and we actually wrote that one. I think that's the only one on the record that's like a few years or more, almost like four, three and a half, four years old. Uh, we wrote that one when we first got to Jody's, by the way, she's my partner. And uh, she also manages the group and um, kind of helps co-run Dietry Records. It's our, our label we started. And uh, we basically just kind of run the whole ship together. And we write a lot also together. So she and I wrote that one. And uh, it was during, yeah, basically just a time when we had a lot of overhead and a lot of um, crazy odds stacked against us. And we were feeling pretty underwater as far as uh, just life goes in general and, and money and whatnot. So um, that song was really kind of born out of that desperate time. We actually wrote it in the dark. Uh, when our power was out, we lived way up in the mountains. Uh, at our, when we lived in California, we lived way up, and uh, a tree had fallen and blocked basically our way into town, and uh, also cut the whole power to the whole area. So we were just in the dark for about a week, hanging out up up there. Yeah, and uh, ended up writing that song. Yeah, that, that's a. Uh... That's for for people here in Texas. I mean, that sounds like real trees to me. Like, <laughs> you know? yeah, huge, huge redwoods, man. Yeah. They're they're massive. It's it's one of those things where like you know I I grew up here in West Texas and like there's no way in hell yeah. okay, a, a tree would <laughs> be able to block your way anywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, man. That's. Um, I know. I used to when I was young, uh, growing up in the mountains, like where I did. I always 
felt so kind of claustrophobic stuck by the trees it's that you're always kind of under this canopy it mm-hmm. feels like and uh whenever i drive through you know the desert or when i got to go to texas a couple times like i i loved driving into west texas or like you know arizona new mexico i loved wide open spaces uh, yeah. so that was something i felt like i never really got growing up yeah i've i've always uh loved the love that aspect too like there is this uh i was trying to tell i was somebody didn't really kind of i feel like they were skeptical skeptical of what i was saying but i was like yeah i just mm. the there there is this aspect of being a little bit claustrophobic in other areas because it just just feels like um like everything's just kind of just too much stuff around you know <laughs> yeah like i live yeah if you were to live in <clears throat> you know, New York city or some place like that. I have so many friends who live there and, and, uh, my hat's off to them. Cause I went, we did a sh- that sh- one of the shows I did with Jason Bolin and the stragglers, um, uh, played at this place in Manhattan and, uh, just trying to find parking took me about two and a half hours. Yeah. And, uh, it was pretty, pretty wild feeling. So it, it's crazy. This country has a lot of different, uh, a lot of different landscapes. Yeah. Uh, I want to get back to, to, um, old, uh, only money, honey, but I want to ask you first because you, you're, you're talking mm-hmm. about New York. Um, when you have to like, when you're touring around places that are like, you know, those, these big urban sprawls or like, uh, metro areas, how much more planning has to go into, you know, just finding parking and stuff like that? How much is there more, more, uh, I guess like planning aspects of, of, of your trip? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, that was something that I didn't ever really, uh, I didn't grow up. I grew up in a really small area and, you know, we'd go into the the city, the closest big city to us was San Francisco. So we'd go North to San Francisco, uh, every now and again. And that, so when I, I had an idea, but I never really knew what it was like to be touring and trying to park a van or, you know, bigger in a place like that. But, uh, yeah, definitely adds adds a layer of complexity. Um, my uh, my my driving rage has gotten a lot better than it used to be. So I've <laughs> usually when we get into the city, I just have to take some deep breaths and wait till we find that parking. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back to the the song, how much has did this has a song changed from that like original? first version that first draft that you guys were kind of working out did uh has it changed a whole lot or morphed into to something else we uh yeah we always wanted it to be kind of a walking shuffle uh, a real classic country kind of walking shuffle but um it definitely evolved once we got it in the studio with the band and we worked it out and ended up you know, kind of arranging all the harmonies with fiddle and steel and everything else. And that it really came to life when we did that. And it was kind of one of those songs that we didn't play all that much live at all until we recorded it with the band. And then we ended up adding it to our, uh, you know, our, our catalog and played Now we've been playing it for a while, but uh, it kind of took getting it down with the band before we could really bring it in. Yeah. Kind of found its way. Um, exactly it kind of came into its own yeah how much do you on this record did you did you feel like um 
where, where songs were you had a, a specific idea and you wanted it that way or was it more of a let's try let's kind of like be a little bit loose and see what what the song uh what happens in the studio you know what what kind of approach did you guys take i'm uh <clears throat> definitely kind of a control freak when it comes to <laughs> to my sound and everything and how i wanted it to sound and um tommy he was joking around he was like i didn't know that we were co-producing this thing when we first started <laughs> uh, he was like you know just joking that i kind of took the reins and whatnot but we ended up working really well together and he was if there was something he was adamant about, you know, like if he didn't hear something there, he, he wanted some level different, he'd really put his foot down and be like, no, I really think that this is the way I think it would sound best. Let's just try it. You know, and we do that. But um, for the most part, it was great because I was kind of able to, I had a pretty precise vision of like what I wanted and uh, they were all great at being able to just knock that out. Yeah. The, uh, uh, did you ever watch that um, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre documentary? Like it was on HBO a couple of years ago. Uh, I can't remember. No, I don't about. think so. Um, the reason I bring it up is just simply because like Jimmy, he started out like as a engineer and, mm-hmm. um, you know, he worked on all these like really cool records, but he talked about like how frustrating it was working with Bruce Springsteen. Um, and mm-hmm. he, I guess he had, it was on the record, uh, darkness on the edge of town and he was okay. this engineer on this record and, and like Bruce apparently just, you know, just, uh, being really, really difficult in, in the recording process of like, let, Hey, let's try this out. No, 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 that doesn't work. Let's try this. And like, just I'm like Mike placement kind of stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And, oh, no. and, uh, I guess like the producer took Jimmy to the side one time and was just like, Hey, if you just, just do everything he says and you know, you're going to find a, a friend for life kind of deal. And right, right. there's this, I guess this quote that just like really, uh, I, I just have always rem- remembered. And it was from Bruce and he was like, me as the artist being in the studio, like this is a time for you to indulge me. And so, I expect everyone to indulge any idea that I have or like, you know, just to find the right thing. And, uh, right. You know, I think there is probably like, that's probably like a little too far, but <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, you could argue that that's maybe a little on the, the pompous side, but I, but I think that's awesome at the same time. Like I think mm-hmm. that's true. And, and that's where like that, that's kind of what I meant by like Tommy, um, yeah, as far as like Mike placement and all that, like the stuff that he truly knows, I don't know anything about that, but he he basically took care of everything like that and then facilitated um, everything else for me, kind of let me, you know, have that creative control to be able to really kind of play around with different ideas I had. Um, that's funny though, man. That's a cool quote. Yeah, it's a, I can't remember the documentary. I think it was called The Defiant Ones. Um, it was like okay. A, I gotta like check a, that out. A couple of episodes about their their partnership and like I guess like the way the way they came up in the the music business and uh, but like it, it, it's it's really interesting. <laughs> I think like my favorite part of that documentary was how in a lot of ways this is just like 
worshiping Jimmy and Dr. Dre for being geniuses. You know what I mean? And so like right. all these artists who they've worked with over the years are just kind of like giving them their, their dues and praise. And the only one who really ever had any pushback in the interviews was Tom Petty. He was just kind of like, really? you could, you could just hear the eye roll in every, in everything he said, but it was, it was so funny. It was, but he, you know, it's, it's Tom Petty. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, this episode is sponsored by Wicker's Mesquite Smoked Jalapeno Jelly. It's owned and operated by my buddy Wes Wicker, who makes the jelly in small batches for the best quality and freshness. He smokes the peppers with mesquite and uses pure cane sugar to make the jelly. What you get is this great blend of smoky, sweet, and spicy. It's addictively savory. For those uninitiated, Wicker's is a great addition to any chef's kitchen. Part of what makes Wicker's so great is just how versatile it really is. For starters, it makes a great meat glaze. Throw it on a batch of hot wings, use it on some pork ribs, some pork chops, really whatever you can think of. Eat it on biscuits, cornbread, bagels, or toast. Throw it on a ham or turkey sandwich. Another super simple but effective way is to get some cream cheese, throw some wickers on top, and then grab your favorite cracker. Wickers is currently stocked at a handful of places in Lubbock and on the South Plains, as well as some Fort Worth and DFW locations. But the easiest way to get your hands on a jar is to head over to wickerstx.com. That's W-I-C-K-E-R-S-T-X.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes for good measure. They currently come in two varieties, original and now hot, if you need just a little bit more kick in your bite. You can order anything from one jar to a case of 12, whatever fits your needs. Again, that's wickerstx.com. Okay, back to the show. These songs, um, when it comes to like songwriting for you, is are you a somebody who needs like the, I guess like being at home in that space, or are you able to you know pick it up and and take songwriting on the road and and kind of write on the road and write in various places? What's what's kind of your style? Um, I've definitely written on the road before, but, um, I think it's definitely, I think it's more comfortable for me to, to be at home. Uh, I usually find that when I get back from being on the road or I I have kind of a moment to, to decompress, then I'm able to, that's when I usually feel most inspired to, to start writing. And it usually just happens from picking up the guitar and playing around or, uh, and having a pen and paper handy. Um, but yeah, being on the, it's hard. I, I've always wanted to be that guy who's, who comes off the road with a new record or whatever, but it's, I think because of all of that, that Jody and I are basically doing with running the whole show and making sure we're like getting orders shipped from the road and like doing kind of all these different things, driving, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little hard to feel creative uh, in between all that stuff and the actual shows themselves. Yeah, um, that's something I definitely want to you know get better at is being able to find that space and kind of uh, do that while on the road. But for now, yeah, just writing at home has been cool. I love now. It's <laughs> we have all the time in the world. We've <laughs> had uh, I've had the most time at home that I've had in quite a while. Yeah, and. I've ended up writing a whole lot more. I've got just about 
just about another record's worth of songs mm-hmm. uh, that we're going to be uh, hopefully getting into the studio sometime later this year with. Yeah, well, that's exciting, too. I mean, like, there's nothing quite like getting a, a record right out of a pandemic, you know? <laughs> yeah, the pandemic sessions, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is weird having, like, I think in in uh, in theory it sounds great riding on the road, but then like you just realize just how little time there is, you know, it's just like smaller pockets of time to, to actually do. Exactly. And if you're not like, if you're not, you know, Springsteen just cause offhand, you know, like who's, who's got like, you know, every, there's, everyone's doing all the other jobs, you know, <laughs> you know? he just has to sleep and drink water. It's <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and show up. I'm sure like there's plenty of time for him to write on the road, but you know when you're right. having a, you know, drive the van, find that parking in New York City, and uh, you know ship records yeah. out and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it just takes time. Absolutely, man, it does. But I, that's something that uh, it's a, an aspiration of mine for sure. I want to. Uh, one day I want to be riding on that bus. Uh, you know, laying, laying in my bunk and being able to just write for hours and hours. That'll be, that'll be awesome. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned pen and pad. Are you like a, a, a do you like to write in, in pen or are you kind of a, a mix of, of technology and old school, like actual, you know, notebook style? Yeah. Usually I have a, a few notebooks going that, um, uh, that I usually do just like a composition book or whatever. Um, and I usually write just out of those and we'll write down ideas. But if I don't, uh, have anything like that, I have my notes on my phone that I'll also fill up. And, uh, the only problem with the, the phone, I feel like is you have to go back so far. I have so many in there, but for whatever reason, it's almost easier for me on a piece of paper to like flip to this page or that page. Uh, but I do both, definitely. Yeah. like I have probably like 500, uh, you know, sometimes I'll be driving and I'll get some inspiration and I'll just hit record. So I have, a, have hundreds of weird, out-of-context sayings and things like that. Yeah. the It is a luxury to have like that, that uh, technology right there at hand to be like, hit record, here's this idea. But I, yeah, I can imagine. Absolutely. How, how easy it is where all of a sudden you know, you do have just like you're overwhelmed with, with notes when you try and look back through. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. I think uh, I prefer the, the writing method, but uh, yeah, pretty lucky to have phones and that technology it helps. Mm-hmm. Are you, uh, you know, like what is, what's kind of like your, like your when you think like oh yeah I need to record that saying or like write it down in a even like the notes app or something like that is there like do you ever just hear people say something or anything like that and you're like that's a potential something or another yeah yeah absolutely man that was um when Jody and I first got together uh, her dad her dad uh, passed away. Uh, before we were together so I never got to know him but uh, you know her and all of her family like he was a very a really funny guy and had a saying for everything 
and one of the sayings that he would always you know say to jody basically when she would be driving around as like kind of a rebellious teenager he'd tell her to keep it between the mayo and the mustard if she was uh you know driving it like all right well make sure you keep it between the mayo and the mustard mm-hmm. um and I always thought that that was really cool. And I think that was one of those moments where I was like, hey, what'd you say? And I had to kind of go back and make sure I got that one down. Yeah. The, uh, but yeah, I definitely do that. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask too, you know, like you just said you were, you've been writing. Is uh, How many like songs do you typically try and, you know, push for? Is there like a a, a magic number for you as far as like, I want to go in with X amount of songs knowing that I'll cut down to 12 or something like that. Is there anything like that? Or is it just kind of just, you know, just playing it by ear, I guess. Yeah. Um, this with rolling on, we went in and had, uh, I think in the demoing process, I, I we had some demos that I did uh, beforehand and we ended up cutting, I think one or two off of that. Um, but when we went in to actually cut the record, we had a really clear idea of like how many songs. It was twelve songs, and uh, and I I kind of like to do that a little more because I think it um, I don't know it almost feels more secure like you know exactly what you're doing and that way you're not putting time or effort into something that might not get used or there's also the kind of fear that if you record it with this batch of songs, it might not fit into the next record because of the the sonic difference or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I've always kind of strayed away from doing that, but that is something I've been interested in. And I think it's definitely cost effective to go in and cut, you know, if you're in the studio already, go ahead and cut a couple extra songs on the off chance that you'll use them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned growing up in a, uh, you know, rural California, um, in a, a a little bit of a you know a small town kind of mm-hmm. like, i feel like that's kind of i i think a lot of people think of like california as being like big city and like that's it but there are these like you know big areas of, of just where it's just rural small town stuff um i guess like, yeah you know, like how much did did growing up in in california have like an impact on on not just your the the sonic qualities but like your your storytelling aspects of of telling stories right um definitely plays a huge part there's uh yeah california is a lot of people don't realize how huge it is i mean it's 800 plus miles of uh of coastline you know that basically goes all the way to nevada and all in between, you know, from top to bottom of the state, there's um, tons of farming, agriculture, mm-hmm. hunting, fishing. Like there's uh, there's much more rural space than there is city. But we have a couple of like the hugest cities, you know, there's Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, San Diego's really big. Right. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there's some sizable smaller smaller cities and towns and stuff but there's much more uh much more rural area than people think of and like that my album cover is this really beautiful spot out in this near this ranch in hollister california um that's just some of the the most beautiful country that you'll ever see but 
that being said that really um yeah the landscape it's really wild in a lot of places and pretty untouched if you go uh far out and that always was really inspiring to me just to be able um to kind of access that where i grew up we lived right behind this creek and right down from the river and i would always play in that as a kid that's kind of where you know son of the san lorenzo came from Mm -hmm. and uh it's played a big part i mean other other than the you know obvious like bakersfield sound influence i love that stuff but um yeah definitely growing up in california has made me who i am and who uh I think, you know, somewhat of the songwriter that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you, you know, you're you're down in Austin now, but and obviously you're on the road so much. But how much do you do you get back to, to California and try and visit? You still have I'm assuming a lot of family out there. Yeah. Yeah. All my family is basically in the, the Santa Cruz area. They. Um, you know, I haven't I we moved out here about a little over six months ago and uh, haven't been back there yet. You know, we planned, um, we were supposed to be in Santa Cruz, I think last weekend playing, Uh, you know, we had a whole, that whole month solid West coast tour and we were going to try to see some family and everything. So it's been kind of turned upside down with uh, what's going on, but I definitely, been it's been really cool i love texas a lot and that's when we cut the record with tommy i kind of really fell in love with this area and um, the people and everybody that we met and definitely knew it was the right move for us but i'd be i'd be lying if i said i don't get homesick sometimes you know i I definitely love my family and california in general so Mm -hmm. definitely want to get back there as soon as I can to see everybody. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, once uh, if if we ever get out of uh, quarantine twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they'll be listening in like two hundred years to this archived. Uh, somehow they found this podcast. <laughs> You're like, oh, this poor soul. All right. Thanks for listening once again. Be sure to check out Rolling On by Jesse Daniel. Check out episode sponsors Smith Iron and Design and Wicker's Mesquite Smoked Jalapeno Jelly. Okay, we will see y'all next week.